Welcome to the PharmaSource podcast. In today's episode, I speak to Tanya Mamtahen, Vice President of Integrated Product Solutions at Thermo Fisher, about how to make outsourcing work effectively in drug development. Starting off as a chemist by training, Tanya spent nearly two decades at Sanofi, over which time she moved from research and development to become VP of Sanofi's global scientific and clinical procurement. She now works right across Thermo Fisher and PPD to help biopharmers get the most out of partnering with the various outsourcing services they offer. This gives her a fascinating perspective on partnering, both from the point of view of the sponsor and from the contract research and manufacturing. So I started by asking what her experience on both the buy and supply side has taught her about how to make partnering really work. You don't realize how important a function is until you see it from many angles and put yourself in the shoes. And they always say, put yourself, especially in negotiations, in the shoes of the other people to to figure out how you're going to approach it. So whether you're actually just working together or negotiating, which both are parts of what procurement and outsourcing need to do, you don't know what you don't know until you go through it. So early days in my career were focused on developing medicines. Yet you can't do that without an ecosystem which also includes suppliers. And it's probably one of the most neglected sections of the ecosystem because it's treated transactionally. It's treated like I pay you to do something for me. So you're going to do it and I'm going to pay you and I'm going to get what I want on time. And if I don't, we're going to talk and we're going to negotiate and we're going to do whatever and get more savings and whatever. It's crazy. It depends what you're buying, right? If you're buying something that already exists, it's a piece of equipment and it's already developed and it's being sold, fine, treat it that way, right? But if it's services that are supporting research and development of a medicine, it is crazy. And the amount of money that's spent in the supplier world is daunting, to say the least, okay? <laughs> and wondering how to improve that, not so much because I'm trying to save money, but because I'm trying to develop more medicines and I want to not waste, right? We owe the responsibility to the world is not to waste uh, money that can be then spent still with suppliers, but on additional medicine, additional potential options, because not everything makes it to the market anyway. And in these uh, companies, you have many people killing products that may work because there's just not enough money to go around to develop them. So when you see that, it's very frustrating because you say to yourself, well, how can I impact it so that more of these can make it at least to the proof of concept, right? And then we can debate which ones you want to develop or how you'll fund them. Hmm. I mean, this is happening in big biopharma, but it happens in biotech with their investors. It just happens in a different way. Sometimes, you know, some of the products that are not so publicly known are the easiest ones to kill internally, but they also may be the ones that may work. So that's how it started with me. And then it opened my eyes to the fact that suppliers as one of those ecosystems, there's many more, right? There's hospitals, there's investigators, there's governments, there's payers, there's so many parts of the ecosystem, I can just list many, many. Um, But the neglected supplier world for better means, and I mean neglected in the sense of how to truly partner with them, is something that early on I said I want to take on in my mm. career. I want to see what I can do. And that's that's how I convinced myself to go to procurement. So what did people say to you when, when you'd said, I've, I've decided I want to move into a procurement role? First, they were asking me to move. And I was okay. trying to convince myself <laughs> <laughs> because there was many, I'll be honest with you, many naysayers. Because when you're in R&D and you're driving products, they're like, why do you want to do that? 
Like, mm. why don't you want to just do more innovation? And, and, and I had a mission and the mission was, well, if I work on a if I work on a couple of products, that's the only ones I can impact. But if I go and take over outsourcing and drive that process and, and, and drive the suppliers to bring better, you know, solutions forward, I can affect many more medicines. And that's mm. sort of what was the motivation for me. And in the meantime, I learned, I became a certified procurement manager. I learned the lingo. I understood the methodology and the foundational uh, aspects of procurement because it's important if you're going to influence something that you speak the language and understand it. And I found that very interesting methodology. Um, negotiation was not new to me. So I felt like that wasn't the hardest part, you know, how to negotiate. It was more... Um, all the savings methodology and how to apply that to complicated services mm -hmm. and how to internally align finance procurement with R&D. Much harder than it looks. Um, and the level of which we budget drives how we can claim savings and what does that really mean? Mm. Uh, what does it really mean in a year, let's say, <laughs> in a yearly budget? Um, if you save money at contract, that doesn't mean you actually save money. I mean, you hope to, but we know what happens in clinical trials, for instance. There's many con mods, uh, change orders, many things happen. And to true that up is very difficult and probably never done. Hmm. Well, what other metrics are there then if, if it's not cost savings? Time. Time is a metric that hmm. has huge amount of value back to R&D. If you have an organization who, including suppliers who have such difficult processes to work together that it takes, you know, a month to get a work order and get a contract going while you already have an MSA or, or even four months or whatever. Like that time is huge, huge. Mm. That You can save two weeks. I mean, you may negotiate a savings of, I don't know, $100,000, but if you lose two weeks in development, that $100,000 doesn't mean anything. So mm. it's about understanding that and realizing that time is valuable um, especially when competition is very tight on some of these mechanisms and therapeutic areas that we're targeting. And you can start out being first in class, first in, you know, first to market, and you can lose that edge over the years very, very easily. Other people can speed past you. Um, so that was part of the equation time, assessing strategically how to work with the suppliers, mm -hmm. really setting up much more strategic relationships, meeting with the C-suites, understanding their business model, which is nothing like pharma. So when you go to a CRO or even any preclinical supplier or even a manufacturing, <laughs> a CDMO, their business model is not the same as pharma hmm. or biotech. They're not, develop they're not developing medicines and selling them, right? They're developing services for us, selling those and selling them in masses. So the processes are not the same either. Yeah. So when you're trying to interact with them, if you don't understand that, you will not get the best from them, right? So from having been on both sides of the fence, how do you see your peers in procurement roles, the way they operate, their priorities? How are they different from the supplier side to the big pharma side? It depends on the company because procurement is viewed differently in every company. Hmm. A lot of times it's tied to finance. Sometimes it's tied to some kind of business optimization group or something like that or a shared service group in in smaller companies it can be embedded within the business when it's embedded within the business it's probably most likely to support speed and 
quickness and not really focus as much on savings and to focus much more on just contracting and getting the work done. Uh, the flaw of that is if you're a large enough company, you're paying too much. Mm. You're probably paying too much for everything. So when you when procurement is outside and in a large procurement organization, for example, with a remit to drive cost savings and improve relationships, you're going to end up with better value on each contract. However, you must make sure that it doesn't get too bureaucratic and too lose sight of speed. So it has mm -hmm. to be nimble and agile because drug development, unfortunately, happens quickly and you need to sometimes turn and change and, and be ready for that. Um, so you have a chance to over-engineer and make your procurement organization look like, for example, travel procurement or, <laughs> you know, like uh, other kinds of buying, which make no sense at all when you're in the R&D space, right? Because it's a very specific type of rules that would mm -hmm. make sense in that in that space. What is the best way to partner then, would you say, from having seen it from both sides? Oh, there's a lot. If I went back into procurement, I would change. <laughs> I would, from after being on the supplier side, change. One, because I truly understand their business model and their way to approach the commercials as well as the delivery. I would set up the way that we, that if I was in biopharma managing a supplier, I would set it up very differently. I would make sure that there was a very strategic contract right? That had value from end to end with that supplier. I would bundle as much work in each supplier feasible with that, not putting at company the risk. You know, you don't want to put things at risk. Mm -hmm. You need multiple suppliers in different settings for backups, but without assessing, you know, moving the risk to the side, assuming you took care of that, even then bundling much more within each supplier, moving it up to a very senior level in the organization to create a goal, for the year, every year, on year, for what, how we'll work together, knowing that the supplier cares about growth. Mm -hmm. So how do I leverage the growth for the benefit of my products and my delivery? And that's the approach I would take, um, mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, negotiating every little thing. I'd focus on the big things and um, try to make sure that the right type of people are assigned to manage that from a procurement standpoint, um, that they have some understanding of the businesses that they're managing, including the internal business as well as the supplier business. Not that they're just doing negotiations, math and spreadsheets. They're, they're actually deeply getting to understand the ecosystem of how these businesses come together. Yeah, yeah. Procurement leaders need credibility if they're to be effective, internally but also externally. In, in your experience, what would you recommend for people if they want to build credibility, being seen as being a serious player? So depending on where they work, in what area, because clearly they could work in different categories and different kinds, time, types of companies and not even in maybe pharma. They have to study the world that they are managing. They have to, you know, like you said, do your strategy, understand your supplier. Even if you're just a buyer, I don't want to say just a buyer because buyers are very important. But if you're not doing, if you're not saying you're not accountable for operationalizing the strategy of procurement or sourcing, you still need to understand it. You know, you need to know how to leverage things against each other. You need to work on it and invest and you need to practice your negotiations. There's nothing worse than walking into millions of dollars deal and not even have thought to practice mm -hmm. and think that you can pull that off. 
that you're that confident that you don't need to do that. <laughs> have you seen that? Yes, I have seen that. And uh, I have demanded practicing. <laughs> yeah. And people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, no, you have to. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we practice to get funding. We practice to sell services on the supplier side. We practice to do a lot of things. Why wouldn't we do that for such big deals? You know, why wouldn't we really prepare ourselves for a win-win? Because in the end, it's not because you, in a service kind of organization, if you make them lose, you lose. There's no way you win. So if you get such a lean model with no hardly margin and you suck all that margin away, they're not going to give you the best people. They're not going to give you the best things. I mean, who would? right? Because yep. they have to make money. So you just need to know that stuff, that there's a limit to the negotiation and it won't feel like a win-win after some point. And if you push that past that line, it backfires on you. Mm-hmm. So I think they have to study, they have to practice, they have to seek advice from experts. You know, what are the real things to leverage here? I always used to say, like, especially when it was a big negotiation, let's say you were talking to someone very senior, they wanted this to go through, they had to outsource the stuff, they couldn't keep it in-house anymore, that was their mission. Okay, what is the outcome you want? Hmm. What do you? What is a win for you? So find out what is a win internally, okay? And some of it will be to save money, but that won't be the only thing. So what are the other things you have to get, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're just as important as the savings. It's funny, isn't it? Like for something that is so important to procurement as negotiation, it doesn't get talked about very much. Certainly not in the conversations I'm having. I don't think I'd spend time negotiating $15,000, okay, in the world that I live in, because that would be a waste of people's time. But, you know, we're talking about, let's say, $3 million. Yeah, you need to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Because that rounding era that you think is a rounding era could fund a lot of research, <laughs> right, in R&D. So let's talk about the the role you're in now. Really interesting role, pulling together all the different capabilities across PPD and Thermo Fisher. How did that role come about? Is, is it a brand new role, the VP of Integrated Solutions? Yeah, actually, it is, I think, the summation of the experience and story that I've been doing in my career. So starting with the product development, moving to the outsourcing and procurement, then into the supplier commercially, working you know, with managing partnerships, winning partnerships uh, on, the, mm. on the supplier side to really create a model that combines all of that, a model that focuses on the medicine. Mm. The company's large. We work with all sizes of companies. Um, the sponsor has the medicine. They have the innovation. We bring our, I would say, operational innovation and we bring our people and we bring our expertise in the area and insights. And then we need to support their medicine moving through development. And so this model is built on that preface and background and understanding that any complex development requires focused management and understanding of drug development, including on the supplier side. And so this is kind of new in the sense that it's mimicking a little bit the pharma model, but not reorganizing the whole supplier business model, right? It's just providing that, I think, engagement oversight that may be missing, and we'll find out with time um, on the uptake and and interest. So if I'm a a biotech, I would come to you, what would be the types of services which I could get through just one person? Or how how does it work? It's going to be agile and different depending on who we work with, because every company is different. 
So even all the biopharmas are different. I mean, everybody outsources differently. So if you're really tactical and you just want, I want to outsource this piece to here, this piece to there, this model won't be for you because you want to control everything and you want to control it at the activity level. That's probably not this model. Mm-hmm. But if you're a company that thinks about suppliers as a part of their ecosystem in development, thinks I can gain value from them, this might be a good model for your company. And then a product manager gets a sign if you, if you sign up for that. And the product manager is uh, someone who understands drug development, has experienced that in the client side before, but now is, has studied and understands our business model our supplier network, our people across the size of our company and what they do and brings forward those ideas, those insights as you move your product through development and connects you to the right expert because obviously they're not the expert on everything. So if you were going into one therapy area that was different than your current therapy area and you needed expertise, they would be able to connect you into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take away the biotech's selection choice. Uh, they get to choose what they outsource, where they outsource it. But for anything that's outsourced to us as one supplier across wherever, you know, wherever in our company, that would be managed by one person. So you'd have one person to call on and their objectives would be aligned with yours. As you think about the way that procurement works, the way that it interfaces with suppliers, what would you say the frustrations are or the challenges which you think the pharma industry needs to get better at? I think they need to recognize that they spend a lot of money on suppliers that help them develop medicines. So forget the rest of the suppliers, the suppliers that help them develop medicines. And they probably aren't set up to manage that the same as they would like an innovative partner. So if they, if they let's say they do an asset deal with another biotech or biopharma company. They spend time setting up that very serious alliance management. It's measured. Everybody's watching it because it's co-innovation, right? Co-development, co- but again, you'll also share royalties or commercial sales or you'll have to give that away. They don't invest the same into the supplier network. They treat it a little differently. And I agree in some suppliers, that's okay. But in suppliers that provide clinical trials that manufacture your product, that, you know, develop science for you, probably not the best way to manage them. And you could take a lesson from how you do it with the other companies, combine a little bit of the best practices there with the best practices of, let's say, procurement and sourcing on the financial side, put them together and it would probably be much better. Nobody's working on it as far as I know. That's the problem to solve. (laughs) Yeah, problem to solve. And it comes from the top. So if a chief procurement officer or a finance head or head of R&D or CMO, whatever, says we care, then everybody will start caring. Mm. Otherwise, it just operates the way it operates. you got to drive the change. Really interesting, isn't it? Because everything you do really is, is based on your supplier network. Yeah, it's probably history and why things are the way they are, but you can change that. So the right leader driving the right change can make that like you said, the credibility of procurement rise in the organization and the influence of procurement rise. Hmm. But they have to focus on many more things that are important to the business than savings. Yeah, yeah. And if they do, that impact and that recognition probably will come. 
because they have they're very unbiased partners to the business internal business. So, for example, if your business partner is head of clinical operations, right? I'll just say that. So they have mm -hmm. to manage the operations of clinical trials and get it all, get them all done. They need suppliers, definitely. No company does that by themselves end to end. Partnering with procurement is a very smart thing because you need to come up with how you're going to manage all those suppliers. And it should be aligned at the very top and putting, I guess, the right seniority and the right experience together underneath both sides of procurement as well as the business to bring that together. And then they need to have oversight over it as leaders. I think it's done like that in some ways. In some ways, you have procurement doing their own thing and the business doing their own thing. And then business is forced to go through procurement because it's a policy. <laughs> but that's not going to drive collaboration. Thanks so much, Tanya, for that great discussion. To learn more partnering best practices, make sure you sign up to Pharmasource.global, the community for partnering and sourcing professionals. Head to Pharmasource.global and join the community. See you next time.